0: Hi and welcome to episode 108 of the podcast. Today's Sunday Sipper, we are talking all about orgasms and all about why maybe having an orgasm a day should be your New Year's resolution this year. Enjoy. Welcome to Vino and Vaginas, the podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Dion, and I'm here to bring you interviews from the absolute best and brightest in their fields, all about issues related to being a woman, from health and fitness to sex and dating and everything in between. My mission at Pino and Vaginas is to explore these topics, health, sexuality, and everything related to being a woman in a fun and safe environment free <laughs> of shame, embarrassment, or stigma. It's going to be an amazing time. Now, let's get to it. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the first Sunday sipper of, well, 2021. So, Linz is back with us, and we are excited to, well, start 2021 off with a bang, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) And the reason we're starting off that way is because today's topic is orgasms. It's something that Lindsay and I have been talking about a lot, and we wanted to do a podcast episode on, but we were thinking, do people actually know what the heck an orgasm is? And I don't know if you did this lens, but I did a little random poll and I asked a few of my friends and the truth is yeah, nobody, nobody really could tell
1: you what the heck it is. No, no, I and, found the same results.
0: Yeah. And so we decided we needed to do an episode on this. We needed to talk about what the heck it is, what maybe some cool stats and go from there. So let's jump right into it then. And Lindsay, what exactly is an orgasm? Tell us.
1: Well, it turns out that we aren't all just missing the memo, that there actually isn't a universally accepted definition or explanation of an orgasm, uh, because different disciplines consider it a different thing. So for example, the medical world considers it a physical change of state, whereas the psychology discipline considers it a cognitive or emotional change of state.
0: That's really interesting. And I mean, To me, it seems pretty obvious that it's probably a combination of those two factors. So it's surprising that maybe those two disciplines haven't talked and and reached a a conclusion that they're both happy with.
1: Yeah, I think maybe that's why so much of the research is a little wishy-washy. Because when you get into it, it definitely is a combination of things. But everybody tries to look at each factor so individually.
0: Mm -hmm. I hope in the future we kind of broaden that (laughs) that definition and maybe find something that, you know, makes sense to everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we don't exactly know what it is, but do we know what happens when a woman or man has an orgasm?
1: We do. There are a few different models that are accepted as to sort of the stages of orgasm. But one of the most documented is by a woman named Betty Dodson, and she is pretty popular and well-known in the sexology world. So she defines it as four different stages, both for men and women. The stages are slightly different between men and women, but for our purposes, we're going to focus on the women. Perfect. So- Stage is excitement. So this is when you're stimulated either physically or psychologically, and blood vessels in your genital area dilate, increasing the blood supply, and it causes your vulva to swell, fluid to pass through the vaginal walls, um, which essentially is what makes you wet. Um, and then internally the top of the vagina starts to expand. Okay. It's also where you notice your heart rate quickening, you're breathing a little heavier, uh, blood pressure rises. And you can start to feel a little bit flushed.
0: Okay. So basically when people are starting to feel a little
1: turned on. Exactly. Okay. When- There's the plateau phase, which kind of sounds like things level off and it's uh, very anticlimactic, but (laughs) this is basically just where the blood flow issue starts to plateau. Um, So as blood flow to the opening of the vagina reaches its limit, it starts to firma. Breasts can increase in size by as much as 25%. Whoa. uh, I know. And the clitoris pulls back against the pubic bone, seemingly disappearing. Which might explain why so many men have such a difficult time finding it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, well
0: I played, to. Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so then the third stage is the actual orgasm. So this is where the genital muscles, including the uterus and the actual opening of the vagina, experience rhythmic contractions up around 0. 0.8 seconds apart. The female orgasm lasts a lot longer than men. So ours is an average from 13 to 51 seconds. And Mm -hmm. I believe men is somewhere around like seven to 11 seconds. It's quite low. And unlike men, women don't have a refractory period. So that's kind of the recovery period where you can't have another orgasm, um, which men experience. But women, most women at least, can experience another orgasm right away if they're stimulated again. Oh. And then after the big O is the resolution. So this is where your body gradually returns to its former state, swelling reduces, your breathing and your pulse slow down, um, and you usually start to feel a little bit tired. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the four stages.
0: And one thing you said (laughs) that I actually want to kind of touch back on. So you were talking about the actual orgasm part being the muscles, including the uterus and introitus and everything we're experiencing rhythmic contractions at 0.8 seconds apart. Mm-hmm.
1: And that just,
0: I remember we were talking about something similar in terms of time frame before. And the instructor at this course I was at is take out your timer, okay, and press start and stop as quickly as you possibly can, right? And no matter how quickly you can go, it's almost impossible to get it like 0.8 seconds or, or less than that. And so it's actually really cool because if you see, if you try that, you'll see how quick 0. 0.8 seconds is and so that's al- obviously quite a few contractions at a very quick pace
1: <laughs> are you trying it right now yeah i'm trying it right now and i definitely can you get, get like how quick can you be 0. 0.1 right <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really hard
0: and i don't remember <laughs> what we were talking about but it's such a fun little game because it's really hard to work quickly so that like that's pretty darn quick in terms of uh, contractions yeah yeah Okay, so we know we don't know exactly the definition of the orgasm, but we know what happens in our body when when we have one. Now, is it a standard organism? Isn't it organism? Is it? (laughs) it No, it is rarely organized. (laughs) Do we have? like a standard type of orgasm? Are there different types we can experience? Is it true that women can have multiple orgasms? I really want to stick with that. (laughs) Um, Multiple orgasms? Let us know.
1: You can tell you're in work mode today. You're very organized. Yeah, so there are actually different types of orgasms. And again, there are a few different theories on these, but the most generally accepted types, um, there are about four or five so there is a combination or blended orgasm and this is a variety of different orgasmic experiences blended together okay. this is considered your most common orgasm so the variety of different experiences is sort of the sensory the true genital stimulation any emotional cha- um emotional experience your environment all of those things put together so i think that would probably yeah be the one that's most commonly experienced It is very true that some lucky women can have multiple orgasms. Mm -hmm. And uh, the definition of that is just a series of orgasms over a short period of time. So that's where um, we go back to that not having a refractory period thing comes in. There are pressure orgasms, and these are the ones that arise from indirect stimulation or applied pressure. Um, so I think most of us would know this as like a dry humping orgasm, um, or if we want to make it a little bit weird after that comment, <laughs> it's what you see kids doing, um, where they're sort of like, you know, crossing their legs, putting a hand between their legs, not really understanding, but they know what feels good. Right. Okay. Then there are relaxation orgasms. And these are orgasms that are derived from deep relaxation during sexual stimulation. So if you've ever heard of sort of the tantric world of um, sex and stimulation, that is often the type that they're experiencing there. Almost like a meditative state um, with sexual stimulation. And then the other most common is attention orgasm. And this is from direct stimulation of the genitals when the body and muscles really are tense um, and sort of that more, yeah, I'll say like forced um, or sort of in the moment kind of orgasm. Okay. Then there are a couple that are highly debated. So Betty Dodson, who I mentioned earlier, she totally discounts these and a lot of other really prominent um, sexology or sex researchers debate them as well but the infamous G-spot orgasm. So that's an orgasm resulting from stimulation of an erotic zone during penetrative intercourse. Um, And anecdotally, women report these, women and men, I suppose, report these to feel totally different um, than your tension or your combination orgasm. But again, not shown in research. The other kind is a fantasy orgasm, so this is something coming from mental stimulation alone, so that could be um, sort of like a dream situation or a little bit of that deep meditative state, but there's no actual physical stimulation with that one. And again, not shown in the research, but anecdotally is talked about a lot.
0: Yeah. So it seems like the types are more based on how the orgasm is actually achieved, but the phases follow the same kind of four steps. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. And I think obviously this is something we can get into in another another podcast, but I think going into those controversial ones might be a fun topic down the road
1: Mm -hmm. and see kind
0: of points for and against, right?
1: And That would be a very fun survey.
0: Okay. Stay tuned, you guys. (laughs) Okay. And the one thing I think we saw when doing research about orgasms a little bit more, you know, specifically is there are tons and tons and tons of health benefits to having them. Right. So it's not even that it's just something that feels good in the moment. There are reasons that you should have orgasms to better your health.
1: Yeah. And all aspects of health, not just your sexual health or pelvic health.
0: That's pretty darn cool. What are the biggest ones you found or or you know of?
1: Yeah. So one of the biggest and sort of, I'll say maybe most general is that orgasms cause a decrease in your cortisol level. So that can help so many different things, anything from your immune response to heart disease, um, to just general physiological stress effects.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. And even That's- like talking as a physio, even your musculoskeletal health, right? He- like headaches, tension, all of that stuff comes down to it. So mm.
1: It can also help regulate your menstrual cycle. It even might have anti-aging benefits. Oh. They, uh, orgasms release human growth hormone, which actually stimulates your collagen production.
0: That's really cool. Ooh. And I mean, can we start marketing that? Do you think that would work for?
1: <laughs> it's worth a try. <laughs> and a they lot actually of nothing else.
0: Exactly. So that's you know, worst case scenario. You got some happy people and we were looking at a, a one study that actually showed sexual dissatisfaction was found to be a huge risk factor for myocardial infarction so heart attack mm-hmm. and this was done specifically on women and what they found it was interesting what they found. They found that premature ejaculation and impotence in their husband was one of the major underlying factors. So if this was, you know, going on in their relationship and, and we don't know if they talked about, we don't know all the other variables, but their sexual dissatisfaction actually was a huge risk factor for heart attack, which seems so crazy. So crazy, but it just speaks to why sexual health is so important and talking about Things with your partner, and if you're dissatisfied, not just bottling it up because obviously that's having negative effects on your cortisol and your
1: health. Exactly. It's not a good sex life, and orgasms aren't just a luxury, it's actually a very important part of our health.
0: Oh, huge.
1: They even found men who ejaculate 21 times a month have a 50% lower mortality rate than men who only ejaculate four to seven times a month. Holy. Like that is a big difference. And that was across all mortality um, risk factors. So that wasn't just heart disease. That wasn't just any one specific thing. That was in general.
0: That's huge. Very, that very significant. so huge. I feel like this is something more people need to know about.
1: Yeah. Even the LV side, which I know you often refer people to, um, they refer to orgasms as nature's Xanax, which I think That's a perfect
0: statement. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, when we're talking about all these benefits, it makes sense that that's what they would call it. I'm going to start using that. Me too. Okay. Nature's Xanax. And and other research has even found that there's certain hormones that's released during an orgasm and such as oxytocin and one called DHEA. And what we found from studies is that these could actually have protective qualities against cancers and heart disease too. So this can happen for both male and female orgasms, and it can work as a, you know, protect us against cancer, but also work as a relaxant. So again, if that cortisol is high, if you're feeling stressed... These are more and more reasons to have an orgasm. And that doesn't have to be an orgasm with your partner, right? So there are ways to have an orgasm without. So solo play definitely is just as good when it comes to this stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to mention because none of this research is talking about just the sexual acts. It's talking very specifically about orgasms. Um, and I think we can all sympathize or understand that if you're feeling really stressed and you're feeling all of that, then sometimes sex with your partner, if it's sort of a strain thing is not your go-to, um, but you can still get all of these benefits without having to go there.
0: Absolutely. Well, if you I think you don't that's such a partner, good. nerd
1: so Exactly. Know.
0: And I think that's such a good point to, to bring out. And I know kind of in my past and and I'm sure kind of in your practice as well, you've probably met people who maybe aren't comfortable with, you know, masturbation or doing anything like that themselves because they've never talked about it before and they didn't, they don't necessarily know what to do or it feels wrong or they might be embarrassed. But I think when you start to talk more openly about it and people realize all the benefits of it, they're definitely way more open and, and hopefully willing to try. So
1: Yeah, I found some really cool. I guess, timelines in some of the research we looked at, then I think you're right, especially women. It's still such an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But then we came across some of these studies that were like 80-year longitudinal studies. So 80 years ago, women were talking to researchers about their orgasms and sex life. And it still is not an open, easy thing for us to talk about. I know. How is that even possible? Uh, Have you, Lindsay, heard
0: of the company OMGS? Yes. Oh okay. yes
1: I, I have.
0: Oh my G, right? So this <laughs> is we're not sponsored by them. This is not a plug or anything, but this is just an amazing company and it's basically educating women on how to understand their body and and work both with a partner or solo and basically teach your, teach different people different ways to orgasm and different ways to um, enjoy themselves or their partner sexually. And so I think it's really cool that this stuff is starting to come to light. And I really hope more people listen or pay attention or, or go to these resources.
1: Absolutely, because we found that there were 10, there are 10 to 15% of women who have never even had an orgasm. Um, and of course, I'm sure that includes a demographic where maybe it's a sensory thing or, you know, something more medical. Um, but I think probably a big part of that stat is the, what you just mentioned. And people don't know how or they feel shameful or uncomfortable or don't even know where to start. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a big percentage of women who have never experienced an orgasm. That's a huge percentage. And speaking of
0: women who experience orgasms, I know a lot of the times we talk about in practice or in our social life, having an orgasm during vaginal intercourse, right? So that's penetrative intercourse. And a lot of people think that everyone should be able to experience that. And the truth is actually, this was the study that you previously mentioned over 80 years. So there was an analysis done over 33 studies and 80 years And they found that vaginal intercourse, only 25% of women consistently experienced an orgasm. So only 25%. And about half of those women sometimes had an orgasm, 20% seldom had one, and there was about 5% that never did have an orgasm with vaginal uh, penetration, right? And so the idea that we should all be able to orgasm that way isn't true and it can be really hard when people aren't experiencing those orgasms during penetration because they think something's wrong right
1: exactly which only makes you less inclined to experiment other ways if you're feeling like something is wrong and you should be having them
0: exactly so that's why I always encourage people to chat with chat with us chat with like a sex therapist sexologist or someone who knows and can help and help open up their eyes and show different ways that they can have these orgasms.
1: Yes. Let's get that number up a little.
0: Right. (laughs) And now Lindsay, you also found some really cool findings when you were talking about or looking into fMRIs and orgasms.
1: Ooh. Yeah. So the fMRI is basically a functional MRI. So they're imaging your brain. Um, In this case, while you're either having an orgasm, watching sexually stimulating material, um, reading something sexually stimulating. So interesting, just thinking about the actual setup of this to begin with. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> the findings are really interesting too. Um, so during sex, the like logical decision-making reason part of your brain actually shuts off. Um, so this makes a lot of sense. Uh, (laughs) It it explains probably a lot of things for a lot of us. Um, But um, It makes sense also that that decreases our fear and anxiety. So you're a little less inhibited. You're making, um, you're a little bit more confident to try some things that maybe you haven't before or that you wouldn't outside of the bedroom.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. But yes, it seems to make sense, right?
1: Yeah. Um, and while that part of your brain shuts off, uh, multiple other areas of your brain are involved in orgasm. And what's interesting about that, um, is that they're all very, um, I'll say like spatially remote. Like they aren't areas that are right next to each other. You've got areas that are deep in the brain. Then you've got an actual sensory cortex associated with your genitals, then a motor, um, aspect to it as well um so yeah it's a very multifaceted experience
0: I love it the brain is so cool
1: It is so fascinating
0: I'll try to find one of the images and and of this fMRI and the lit, lit up areas and then post it on our our Instagram
1: yeah we should see if we can find one where it does a direct comparison because there were some really interesting facts that the way your brain um, lights up I'll say on an fMRI during sex or orgasm is really similar to how it looks when you're doing something else pleasurable and that can be anything from listening to your favorite song um, winning a game doing drugs indulging in good food and dessert uh, so many different pleasurable experiences are experienced kind of the same way in our brain
0: that's so cool yeah we will definitely look for that and try to post it
1: The other thing that sex does to our brain is actually decreases some of our pain receptors and pain sensitivity, and it's not fully understood exactly what that relationship is, but it's hypothesized that this is the reason that some people experience pleasure from pain.
0: Interesting. And this reminds me, I feel like I just binged over the holidays Grey's Anatomy. So a Grey's Anatomy episode is like coming to my mind, but it was this guy that was allergic to almost all pain meds. And so the neurosurgeon suggested or neurologist suggested that they, he watched porn essentially for um, pain reduction. And Um, obviously I am not advocating that. And I'm not sure if that is even a thing and we've not researched it, but it was probably based on this idea.
1: Yeah, it's worth an experiment. Interesting. Next time you have a headache, give it a try. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Lens, I'll listen to All you. Right. <laughs> uh,
1: the other little fun fact I found is that our brains can actually remap our sexual pathways following an injury or a loss of sensation to the genitals. So for example, after a spinal cord injury, people can still reach orgasm through touch of the skin or nipples. And depending on the type and area of the spinal cord injury, that area of sensation or way that you stimulate the area might all be different, um, but essentially it just remaps instead of those pathways going to your genital area, um, it finds a different area that it associates your genital sensory cortex with.
0: Again, brain, so cool. I know. so So cool so smart any other cool kind of like tips or 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 theories or anything that you came across
1: yeah there's one that is quite funny actually there's a theory that orgasms are what trick us into procreating
0: (laughs) oh my gosh yes (laughs)
1: If you think about it, the process of carrying and birthing a child is not exactly easy and doesn't come without (laughs) risks to the mother herself. So it's thought that those few seconds of pleasure are a reward for sex and that's what keeps us coming back as a way to prevent the human species from dying out. (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh. I have to ask, where is this theory from? Like, is it from sight? Like what, like, does, do you even know?
1: <laughs> it is definitely more from the psychology world <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of is linked to, um, a very physiological effect. So the release of oxytocin and dopamine, it lasts longer or it releases longer in women than men after sex or orgasm, I should say. Um, and so those are the chemicals that make you feel affection and connection. Um, and yes, they release longer following orgasm. So I think that's where that theory comes from, is that there must be a reason that women experience that release longer. And it must be to remind them that it is worth it.
0: <laughs> right? Well, cause oxytocin and prolactin, like those are released also during breastfeeding and the one of, not the reason, but part of that allows women to have that really great sense of connection and affection towards their child. And so it tends to be a big part of that. So it's interesting that it's also released longer in orgasm for women.
1: Yeah. And the, specific to dopamine, it is actually um, a chemical that helps with motivation. And when I say motivation, it's kind of like our evolutionary motivation. So food, sex, water, that kind of thing. Um, And it is released uh, in huge amounts during orgasm, which makes us take notice of the things like food and sex. And we, I'll say subconsciously, maybe we learn how to get more of them, or we pay attention to how to get more of them because they're considered such an essential thing for our survival.
0: Oh, I love it. I mean, I learned something today about orgasms. (laughs) I learned so many
1: things. It's quite fascinating.
0: And I think most of our listeners are going to be encouraged hopefully to maybe start, like I said, 2021 off with a, with a bang or, you know, two or three. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Forget all those resolutions. Like I'm going to the gym, make yourselves a pact to dedicate your orgasms to your health daily. orgasms. That's what I was just
0: going to say. We should have resolutions for orgasms. So next time someone asks me and I hope, you know, whoever it is, like, I'm excited for this moment. (laughs) What's your New Year's resolution? And it's going to be to have at least one orgasm a day.
1: (laughs) That's a good resolution. And think of how many ways it's going to make impact your life.
0: Right? Okay, on next episode, I will update you on how that conversation goes. Let's hope it's not a random older gentleman at the bank. But if it is, I I look forward to that conversation. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Please
1: try and record the facial expressions (laughs) you get in return.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. I feel like that's maybe not allowed, but But we'll see. I will definitely at least tell you what happens. Okay, good. I can't wait to hear it. Oh, thank you, Lindsay, for kind of updating us and telling us exactly what the heck an orgasm is, what happens, and all of these amazing facts about it. Like I said, I hope people are excited, you know, excited to... (laughs) Spend the rest of 2021 enjoying many and hopefully multiple orgasms.
1: Yes. Enjoy them.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys. And we'll chat with you soon.
1: Bye. Bye.